This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. All right, welcome to another episode of Tide Chasers Podcast. Every week, we're excited to bring on new guests from all walks of life throughout the world of fishing to connect with our listeners. Whether you're a guide, charter captain, lure bait maker, fly fisherman, or surf caster, you have some great stories to tell, we'd love to provide that link to our listeners for you. We are on Instagram at Tide underscore Chasers and on Facebook at Tide Chasers Podcast, as well as all of your major podcast platforms from Apple to Spotify, Pandora, and our latest venture with Waypoint TV. Check the link in our bio of where you can tune in. Before we get started, I would like to talk about a new partnership for us with Tarij Eyewear. If you're like me, outside of your fishing rod, your optics might be the most important piece of your fishing gear you pick up for the day. Polarized sunglasses are an absolute must when on the water. Whether fishing the blue waters of the ocean or ducking into your local stream, Tarij Eyewear has you covered without breaking the bank. Tarij has over a decade of experience and provide a lifetime warranty, 60-day fittings, and free replacements, so you never have to worry about losing a pair of sunglasses again. With lens colors for every situation, Tarij offers high-quality glasses that are saltwater corrosion-resistant, scratch-resistant, and crazy durable at an incredibly affordable price. I'm excited to announce that Tarij has set up a special 20% discount code for our podcast listeners. That code is TIDECHASERS, capital T, one word, to be used at checkout at their website, www w.toreg.com. So head over and grab a pair for the boat, the car, your tackle bag, you name it, they have something for everyone. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of, of Tide Chasers podcast. As always, it is our goal to connect our listeners with folks from all parts of the fishing industry. Whether you're a plug builder, charter captain, fishing guide, fly fisherman or woman, marine biologist or kayak fisherman, we have a little something for everyone. Before I introduce this week's guest, let's give the rundown of where you can find us. We're on Instagram at Tide underscore Chasers, on Facebook at Tide Chasers Podcast, as well as all of your major podcast platforms. 
from Apple Podcasts to Spotify. We're on Pandora and iHeartRadio, as well as Waypoint TV and many more. But without further ado, I'm beyond excited to introduce our latest guest, Reed Brand from Captain Clay and Sons in Destin, Florida. How you doing? Or so, I'm sorry, Delray, Florida. How you doing, Reed? Killer, man. How you doing? Not too bad, man. I, now, I've been following you for a little while, but it seems like you've kind of exploded onto the scene lately as Reed the Fishmonger. Um, if people don't know who you are, they will pretty soon. I mean, you're getting some crazy views, but I just want to kind of dive into the business. Now, you're part of a family operation as Captain Clay and Son Seafood in Delray, Florida. Give us a little background on how Captain Clay, Clay's came to life and how you were introduced to the retail side of the fishing world. Cool. Well, uh, Captain Clay and Son Seafood Market, we're in Delray Beach, Florida. Captain Clay's my dad. He's been commercial fishing the South Atlantic fishery since the 70s. Uh, he's got a commercial grouper snapper license and a commercial lobster license that he mostly fishes now, but he's got a handful of other commercial permits that are, he doesn't use as frequently as the former. Um, and my mom and dad opened up a seafood market in 2006 called Captain Clay and Son Seafood Market because they were tired of selling their catch to other seafood markets. And, and I was in high school at the time. And before we opened up the seafood market, I used to love working on my dad's boat. So I would spend a lot of my free time going out, driving the boat for him while he's diving or working on the boat for commercial trips. Now, when I say working on the boat is a, you know, he's always had small 25 to 30 foot commercial work boats. Um, we're in the South Atlantic fisheries. We go out one day, we come back in the same day with catch. So it's not like what you see on TV with those big boats that go out days to weeks at a time. It's uh, out one day, back in the same day. So growing up, I worked on his boat and then I was 14 years old when the seafood market opened up. So I was splitting my time between working on the boat and working in the seafood market after school. And then uh, the rest is history. I became a partner in the business in 2011 and started running the seafood market, doing um, just everything from A to Z. And I absolutely love the retail side of the business, working with customers, doing the butchery. And it's just a lot of fun for me. Now that five years from when you opened to when you became a partner, how did you, what, what types of things did you learn in that period of time that took you from where you were then to where, who you are now as, as a partner in the business? Oh man, my, my dad's a big believer of uh, earning your keep. So I was you know, scrubbing floors, scrubbing coolers, um, mopping the decks, scrubbing the boat. Um, and I was learning how to fillet at the same time. Um, I was learning how to talk to customers, take care of customers, um, and the whole fishmonger process of guiding customers to which cut is best for what they're doing and how to guide their cooking process if they'd like that help. And just uh, learning how to navigate that whole world. And then in 2011, we were getting busier and busier. I was going to college and working the seafood market and we needed help. And it just kind of naturally progressed. I was like, hey dad, you know, we're, we're getting busier. I'd like to, bring on someone to, to help us. And he said, all right, well, you know, you can go ahead and do that. So 
it, it was that casual. I, I hired my first ever person in 2011, right out of high school and trained that person and everything that my dad trained me on. And then we got busier and I did it again and did it again. And fast forward to today, we have uh, 12 to 14 crew members at any given time. Now, give us an idea of like, the, the I guess, the the size or the the kind of location, the locale of your 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 market. Like, is it on the water? Is it a, is it a bigger place? Like, can, give us a little little idea of what we could expect if we're walking up to your front door. All right, we're we're a hole in the wall, man. We're we're about six hundred square feet, and most of our shop is workspace, um, with um, under a hundred of the square feet being standing area for customers wow. and customer space. Uh, we, you know, comfortably fit six to eight customers in that space at a time with the displays and shelving and whatnot. Um, so if you were to walk up, you'd walk into the seafood market and you'd be greeted at one of the fishmong, greeted by one of the fishmongers and you would be able to visually see our display case where in that display case, every fish in the display was cut that day. Tomorrow, whatever fish we cut today, we smoke, we make homemade smoked fish dip. We do a six to eight hour smoke with hickory and charcoal, cool it in the fridge overnight, hand chop it in the morning. That way we can... Sorry, you guys, I'm outside as the motorcycle going by. No worries. But, uh, that way we can fillet brand new fish every single day. As soon as you cut a fish, it starts to oxidize right away. So eating a fish from a seafood market that's been cut that same day is gonna make a big difference in what your experience is going to be at home and quality of texture, flavor, and everything else. Yeah, I'm gonna get into some of that a, a little bit more detail a little further on, but so I, I've been following you for a while, like I said, and I got to say, you've absolutely blown up with these TikToks and now the YouTube shorts. Uh, you're reaching some crazy numbers and you've become like a viral sensation in the fish cleaning world. What would you attribute that success to at this point? Um, solely to my buddy, Noah Roberts. Uh, Noah Roberts, uh, Liquid Film Group. Uh, awesome guy. I wanted to put out how to cook fish videos because some customers were requesting me to do that. So that way they could like reference it or share it with friends. Um, and I called up Noah and I was like, hey man, I wanna put out, make some how to cook YouTube videos. Is there a class online that I can take to learn how to video edit or anything along those lines? And he's like, dude, you work all the time. There's no way you're gonna learn how to video edit. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, it just takes a lot of dedication and work to actually be proficient at it. He said, what you should do instead is just post TikToks. TikToks are, are easy to, to edit and make usable and they don't have to be more polished like a good YouTube video. And my response was, what's a TikTok? <laughs> I had no clue what it was. This was um, almost a calendar year ago. That's okay. when I posted my first TikTok was, um, uh, I think it was the end of April, end of April, beginning of May, somewhere around then because it was just after lobster season and lobster season ended March 31st. Um, anyways, so he told me what TikTok was and I was like, all right, cool, I can do that. 
And he's like, okay, so what you want to do is you want to post three videos a day, every day. And I was like, oh, that sounds really intimidating. I don't even know how to edit a video yet. And he's like, no, you're not going to edit videos. He's like, you're going to just record yourself, hand your phone to one of your crew members, have them record you cutting a fish, chop it up into three separate videos, post them throughout the day and do that every day. It's not going to take you that long. And I was like, it was sounding intimidating, but I took his advice and did it. He said, because it was a relatively newer platform than an all platforms favor people that use their platform. So the more you're posting, the more the algorithm is going to favor you. And the more you use it, the more it favors you because the algorithm likes people that are using the platform. That's why you get uh, downranked when you skip a couple of days because they're literally punishing you for not using the platform. Um, so anyway, so that's what I did. I was posting three videos a day every day for, I guess, uh, three to four months. And I went from zero followers to around, you know, 40, 50,000 followers in three or four months, something like that. I don't know the exact dates, but it's around there. And, and then by that time, my busy season started kicking in again. So I dropped down to just posting once a day, every day. Every once in a while, I'll skip a day, but I, I get a solid minimum six videos out on TikTok a week. And then I started posting reels too. And I didn't even know what reels were. And I started posting reels a few months after I started posting TikToks and those kind of, you know, same thing happened with TikTok where people enjoy watching fish cutting, but whether it's for an ASMR effect, whether it's for an educational effect or entertainment. Um, I think, you know, I wasn't expecting it to be as popular as it is. Um, I'm humbled and grateful. I think it's awesome. And there's, you know, it's great because the whole goal was to, you know, do a campaign for Captain Clay's on seafood market and funnel as many people there as possible. And it got a lot of attention to the seafood market, which is absolutely killer. It's what the goal was. Um, but yeah, man, I'm just uh, humbled by the whole experience. I think it's a lot of fun. I love the process of butchering fish and I like kicking it with people and customer service and hospitality. And I get to do that on a grander scale online. So that part's kind of fun too. So your, your unofficial business manager who got you set up in the world of videography to get the, the promotion. Now, is he, is he ever coming back at you looking for like, uh, looking for get credit? I mean, is he ever saying, look, this is all, this is me. I, I got you all set up. Or is it more of a friendly thing at this point? Oh, as a recommendation. Um, I give him credit for the recommendation anytime I can. Yeah. Um, it was a great recommendation and it's worked. I mean, here uh, I am, here I am. I'm sitting here in Pennsylvania talking to you down in, in Florida because of, because of that, that's, that's ultimately what yeah. happened. So that's, it's pretty cool. That, yeah, absolutely. That stretch, you know, if you think about it that way, that the stretch has worked, I mean, and then there's going to be people that will listen to this that will be down there or somewhere and you'll cross paths. And it's, it's a cool thing how that worked. Now, now here's the thing. Conservation is at the forefront of a lot of what we chat about on Tide Chasers. Um, give our listeners a rundown. You kind of talked about it a little bit, but give our listeners a rundown of how Captain Clay's and Sons uh, acquires its fish, why your seafood is the best and the, and the sorts of things your customers can come to expect from the seafood you offer on a daily basis. Um, you've mentioned to me how like your, your seafood's all hook and line caught fresh. So let's dive into that a little bit. Tell us why you're the best. Awesome. 
Uh, well, I would like to say it's not all hook and line. Our primary focus is on locally commercially harvested seafood. Uh, we do get a limited amount of imports and but our focus is on the stuff that our small local commercial fishermen are catching in our area. Uh, like today, we landed a big load of local gray tile fish. And for us at our market, a big load is a hundred pounds. So this isn't like a giant boat that's going out and sinking the ocean. This is one guy on his 25 foot boat with a commercial group of snapper permit that's going out deep dropping all day long, catching his hundred pounds of tilefish, coming in and selling them to us. And it's, you know, one fish at a time. It's hook and line. There's zero bycatch. There's, you know, if you watch the video Seaspiracy, there's zero giant long lines or trawl lines stuck in the ocean. That's going to create a massive amount of, um, you know, sea waste and sea plastic and all those, you know, it's just, it's one dude on a 25 foot boat going out, fishing hook and line, catching a bunch of fish, dropping them off to us. And we're just the, the lucky guys that get to buy them off of him and sell them to the public. I love getting to sell hours out of the water, locally caught fish. It's very exciting for me. Uh, this is a fisherman that as soon as he catches his fish, it goes into a brine, salt water and ice mix and basically a slushy consistency. The reason why we brine the fish is because you don't want the fish flopping on the deck, creating any bruising, and you want the fish to, or flopping on hard ice. You know, if you have a cooler that's packed with ice and you throw your fish on top of that ice and it's flopping around, it's damaging the meat. So when you put a bucket of salt water into that cooler full of ice and create a slushy consistency, now when you put your fish into that box and it starts thrashing around, it's sinking into the slush and it's not having any um, hard impact onto the meat of fish. And this process also puts the fish through rigor mortis quicker. The faster fish goes through from coming from out of the water into rigor mortis, the better quality the fish is. Rigor mortis is when the fish completely stiffens up. It's no longer has that jello-y consistency to it. So no bruising, rigor mortis immediately. Then the boat lands, the cooler ice box gets unplugged, all the liquid pours out of it. Then you start collecting your fish out of the ice box. And then we gut them. We set them side by side into another ice box with the belly down. So that way all the blood can drain out. Belly down on top of ice, then ice on top, then another layer, belly down side by side, ice on top. Then you pack it like that until the blood is stripped out. Then you pull them out and you lay them up for the customers. It's a top shelf handling from the boat to the fish house. And, and you know, it's hook and line one fish at a time is as sustainable as it gets. Uh, you know, May 1st is going to be for us opening grouper season in our area in the South Atlantic fisheries. And my dad, is going to be catching a lot of the groupers we sell. He's going to be catching them spearfishing. He's going to be out diving and he's going to be spearing them. He chooses which fish he catches and there's zero bycatch. And he also has a 25 foot boat and every single fish that he shoots is going to get sold to the market. And there's not going to be an ounce of waste. There's not going to be an ounce of debris. 
in this method, there's not even any, you know, lines or hooks or anything like that going into the ocean. So that's pretty cool too. Um, so guys like the guy that caught our tile fish today and my dad and their methods are the people that we really try to work with. And the only reason why we have the relationships with all these guys is because my dad's been doing it since the seventies, because there's very few people with commercial licenses to catch the type of species that you want to have in a market like grouper snapper. Well, that, that, that's a, a bevy of information for our listeners to, to break down. Now, the, 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 the big takeaway there for me is even if you're buying from market or if you're catching your own fish is the way you're handling the fish after catching them, you know, transferring from, from the one slush bat to the other one and everything like that. Anybody can take something from that. So that's great information there. Now, what types of things determine the seafood you're bringing to market? Like, are there specific seasonal favorites? For example, you know, we have Easter and Mother's Day coming up, which are probably huge for you guys, I'd imagine. Those are probably two big holidays that you prepare for. Are there like seasonal type fish that you're bringing in uh, this time of year as opposed to other times of year? You know, how do you determine what comes to market? Is it based off of what, what, the, what they're bringing to you to, and you get to see it right there and decide? Uh, you know, for us, what we're gonna have for local catch is um, independent of those outside influences. It's whatever our local guys are catching is what we're bringing in. We're not turning away the local catch. Um, so it's not like we're saying, okay, Easter's coming up. Let's ask a few boats to target this specific species. Unfortunately, in the South Atlantic fisheries, we're pretty limited in the fish that we're able to catch and not just through seasons, but also here is the recreational fishing capital of the world. Uh, well, that's very American of me to say the world. It's the <laughs> recreational fishing capital of the United States. Um, I didn't know this until I started posting online videos of seafood content, but Palm Beach County where I am is the capital of, um, fishing related content. And the reason is, is because the Gulf Stream is very close to where we are. So you go from out the inlet and you're in a hundred feet of water, a mile offshore, and you can be in a thousand feet of water under. Sorry about that. Oh, we all have dogs. (laughs) We all have dogs. It's all good. Um, So you're in a you being a thousand feet of water and less than 10 miles offshore. So when it comes to pelagic fishing and deep dropping and really just any kind of saltwater fishing you could think of, it's all very accessible here. Um, so recreational fishermen outweigh commercial fishermen a thousand to one, uh, quite a bit more than a thousand to one. Um, so commercial making a living commercial fishing in this area with how oversaturated recreational fishing is um, because it's where you're at when you're going out into a thousand feet of water you are way offshore you're not competing with thousands of recreational fishermen that are also out there like we are here Um, so we always feel blessed for any quantity of uh, local hours out of the water harvest we can get Um, the only local harvest that we're really not taking in are the things that, um, you know, we don't have demand for. 
um, like kingfish. There's a huge kingfish market. Commercial boats catch a lot of kingfish in this area. And it's hook and line, one fish at a time. Um, there's no uh, trawl netting or gill netting, things like that that they do in other parts of the United States. It's one of the cool things about our area too is the, the regulations. It's mostly to protect commercial fishing and tourism, but we have great regulations over here for commercial fishing to make sure that we have a sustainable fishery. Um, sorry, you were gonna say something? No, no, I'm just listening. All right, cool. Um, but to answer your question, uh, stone crabs are always a huge item. Um, cooked and cleaned shrimp, uh, things that is honestly easier for us to, to manage recreation or not recreation, commercial fishing in our area. It's almost like, you know, what we got is what we got when it's gone, it's gone type deal. Yeah. Um, but you know, Florida caught shrimp, Florida caught stone crab claws and things like that. We've been working with the same guys for so long. And those are two industries where you can catch a lot at once, unlike local grouper snapper in our area, where we're just about always able to produce enough of those things to keep up with demand for all of the different holidays. Got it. So you're a fishmonger, you're a social media connoisseur, but you're also the guy that's giving out like recipe ideas when folks come in with without the, the thought in mind of how they're going to prepare a meal. So let's say I, I'm going out on a limb and I, I, I'm going to say you've made a lot of special occasion recipe requests at this point. Let's say a single guy's coming into uh, your shop and is looking for a special piece of fish for date night. Um, maybe it's like around now. So what would you suggest that might be easy, moderately flavored that, that would be your go-to suggestion off the top of your head? Uh, you know, when it comes to fish, everybody likes something that's light, mild, and flaky. And so my local fish selection today at the seafood market was gray tile fish, golden tile fish, pompano, yellowtail snapper, swordfish, snowy grouper, and yellow edge grouper. Now that's an amazing selection for Absolutely. real deal locally harvested seafood from small local commercial fishing boats. And out of that selection today, oh, I also had sheep's head too. Uh, local sheep's head, and I also had, got in some Cape Canaveral. Cape Canaveral is just a couple hours north of us. Flounder, um, called summer flounder, which are also fluke. Um, and out of that list of locally caught fish, a lot of them are light, mild, and flaky fish. Uh, golden tilefish is one of my favorites, so I would steer you in the direction of golden tilefish, fluffy, white, sweet meat. And when it comes to hours out of the water fish, I'm very big fan of keeping it simple. Uh, salt and pepper, and whether it's in a pan, oven, or grill, I can guide you on how to cook it. And, you know, if you wanted me to go ahead and pair your entire meal, I'd be happy to do that for you. But most of the customers are just looking for how to prepare their fish. They'll let me know whether they want to grill, bake, or saute and what they're serving it with. And I'll let them know which local fish work the best for how they're cooking it. And so if you wanted to saute a piece of golden tile fish, you don't want to skin and debone it, put a paper thin layer of hot oil in the bottom of the pan, paper thin, like you're going to fry an egg, get it hot. Once it's hot, lay your fish in flat. Two minutes after adding your fish, reduce the heat down to medium, add a couple of pieces of butter around it. Three minutes after adding the butter, flip it, 
The second side is just determined on how thick it is. It's about an inch thick. You're about another five minutes on the second side. The most important part is for that first five minutes, don't touch it. Let it sit in the same spot the entire time. That way it develops a nice sear. You let it sit in the same spot the entire time and do that method, starting with the paper thin layer pot oil for a couple minutes, then reducing the heat and adding butter. You're gonna have a browning like out of a magazine without any flour, egg wash or anything else like that, uh, hiding the beautiful texture and flavor of that hours out of the water golden tile fish. And it's like searing a steak is a good example. The second you peek at your steak, your sear is over. So you don't want to peek at the fish. That's the hardest thing for most people is everyone. It's hard to trust that it's okay. You're not burning your fish. Everyone wants to peek at it every 30 seconds and it will never get a beautiful sear if you're peeking at it even once. You heard it here first, folks. Uh, Read, don't, don't peek at the fish. Now, that right there just captured a lot of the reason why you're on here with us. Uh, you can tell you love what you do. You're very charismatic. It comes across in everything you do. You probably just worked all day and now you're coming home and it's just like you pick it up like you're at the shop. So that is what drew me to, to your page. You know, that's the kind of thing that, that I'm, I'd imagine is the reason why everything's growing on the social media side so much because you just capture your audience. And I, I'd imagine it happens in person even more so because all that comes through. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Now, what would you say, like, I I mentioned it earlier, but what would you say is the one or two things that you guys do that nobody else is doing that sets Captain Clay and Sons apart from from everybody else around you? Because obviously there's a lot of competition. Seafood capital of the uh, recreational fishing capital of the America, the world, or whatever you want to call it. But there's a lot of people doing what you guys are doing there. What is it that you guys are doing different that's that's wowing people and bringing people in your doors? Uh, man, well, I often don't know what I'm going to have the next day until I hear from the fishermen what they're going out for and what they're bringing in. Um, the, you know, I'm not going to single anybody out or call anybody out, but sure. in the seafood market world, most, uh, I don't even like generalizing, even if it's true, I like just being uh, courteous to, to everybody, whether it's competition or not, but I'll, I'll say a lot, a lot of seafood markets and purveyors, their locally caught fish is from South America, Mexico, and God knows where. And if you're going into a seafood market that has the same thing on their menu every day, you know it's not locally caught because that's not how local fish works. Now, if it's a fish that's in season, and they're targeting that fish and they're catching that fish daily, then maybe that could pass. But if you have a menu and you have a set amount of fish that are on there on a daily basis, uh, like one of my pet peeves is mahi-mahi. Every, every fish house in Florida, it feels like has dolphin, which is mahi-mahi for those that don't know, on their menu on a daily basis, not just fish houses, but restaurants, and a rest, every restaurant in our area, the, the local catch of the day is dolphin 365 days a year. Well, there's a couple of weeks in the end of spring, beginning of summer, where there's enough dolphin for commercial boats to make it worth target. Then in the fall, there's two to three weeks where it's worth targeting. Sometimes in the middle of summer, there's a week where it's worth targeting. And in the winter, 
and beginning of spring, there's almost never a time where commercial fishermen in our area are targeting dolphin, mahi-mahi. So the people that are saying that they have local dolphin 365 are just not being honest. And because sometimes we'll have two local fish, sometimes we'll have 20 local fish. I think people really dig the honesty. We have dolphin all the time, mahi-mahi, all the time at the seafood market. We have a, a local fish selection and a non-local fish selection. Our dolphin is rightfully so on the non-local selection when it's not locally caught, because that's the honest thing to do. And I think people just, when they shop with us, not only can they taste the difference in the fish they're eating, but I think they can just recognize the honesty and integrity and they appreciate it. And it becomes something that you get excited about. You know, you don't know what they're going to have until you call them and see what they got in. So that also creates a, a little bit of like a, an excitement about it. Like, Ooh, yeah. I'm going to call them and see what they just got in. Yeah. And sometimes might not have what you want. Sometimes we do have what you want, but if we do have what you want, you get stoked about it because you didn't even know if we would or not before you called. So it puts a little extra special uh, twist on that dinner that you're having because you didn't even know you were going to be having it because you didn't know if the local boats were able to produce it or not. And so I think that goes a long way. Um, so I will jump on a limb and say I've been in dozens, literally dozens of seafood markets in the United States. And we really, really do put out a premium product, but I will say that's probably not the main thing that makes us as busy as we are. It's, it's hospitality, it's customer service. Uh, we genuinely love our customers. We genuinely love taking care of our customers, making sure that they have a good experience, uh, making sure that they're happy with what they're getting every time. And um, that's, that's the number one thing, man. An analogy I like using with crew members when I'm training them on how to treat customers is in our area, we've got lots of nice restaurants. And on my days off, something I enjoy doing is eating breakfast out. And I don't do it all the time, but when I do it, we have lots of options in our area. There's high-end restaurants, that you go into that you're just another person no one knows who you are no one cares who you are very good food where i go to is the the diner mediocre diner food not that it's bad but it's diner food but i walk in and they say hey reed how's it going and and i know their name they know my name and they're happy to see me and that being genuinely happy to see someone is makes all the difference in the world. Uh, anybody that's aspiring to open a business or someone that does have a business, um, and I don't care how good your product is, if you're not stoked to see your customers and stoked to take care of your customers, it's, it's not going to be good for you. And if you are stoked to see your customers and take care of your customers, I don't care how mediocre your product is, you will be a success. It's true. It's true. I, I've worked in the retail world for years and years and years. And 
you know, the, the, the idea of having regulars, like I, I had regulars, I, I worked at restaurants and I would have regulars come in and tell me, you know, you know, we don't come here for the food. You know, the food is, is secondary to the service. We come here because of you. You're, you're, you're this restaurant. You are this person. This is why we come here. You know, we could get better food elsewhere probably, but get lesser service. And it, you know, I've walked into fish markets in my, in, in my past and, you know, it's kind of a cold, um, oftentimes you get like a cold response and maybe that's a microcosm of fish markets as a whole. So maybe that's where your niche is coming in, where you're killing it by being the nice people doing it. You know, that's, 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 that's the ticket there. And, and, and I think when you, when you talk about Captain Clay and Sons in, in your area, people say these guys do what they say they're going to do. They're going to, they're going to provide a fresh product, stand behind their product. They're going to say it's local and it's going to be local. So I think people, you've earned your customer's trust, which is huge. Yeah, man. It's something we're, we're super proud of. And it's, we're, we're a place also, when you walk into it, you're in a room full of people that want to be there. I think that makes a big difference. Also, our, our room is full of out of the 12 to 14 crew members I have at any given time. Most of them are passionate recreational fishermen, passionate commercial fishermen, or people that just love the process of butchering fish and, and finding people that like to, to fish and butcher fish and have great hospitality is oh. is definitely a task in itself absolutely um, I, I know either one of those friends. individual things is hard to do but putting those together is especially hard to do so yeah. that's yeah. why i'm not surprised that you say you went into a fish market and you had a, a cold experience because you know it's going to be hard to find someone that you know is willing to process fish or work in a fish house and also be the kind of person that is happy to take care of you yeah yeah, it's it's it, it, you got to check all the boxes, and it seems like you and your your uh, your crew do. Now, let's say I have a uh, a listener that wants to make a trip to your area. You know, they're going to come visit the 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 seafood market. But what other things could you say are great that you recommend seeing around around your you know like a ten mile radius around you? What what is like some can't miss things in in your town? Oh, and Delray Beach is awesome. Um, I absolutely love our town. We have, we have some of the best restaurants there are. Um, you know, when you're growing up, you always become a, a hater of the, the town you're in. And I'm, I'm from this area, but it wasn't until I was an adult and I became a, a big food enthusiast and seafood enthusiast. So as I would travel, I would always be excited to go into different restaurants and try the, the food that's being produced at chef-driven restaurants in every area I go to. Um, it's, you know, going to chef-driven restaurants are expensive. So it's always something that I, I plan for and I save for ahead of time and budget into my trip because that's, you know, my form of entertainment. You know, some people like going to an amusement park. I'd rather go to a nice couple of chef-driven restaurants. And we have some of the best chef-driven restaurants here. Um, I've, I've been to a lot of the big cities in the United States and at least a, a handful of them. And the quality of restaurants we have in this area is very impressive. So food would be my number one, uh, 10 mile radius. You know, of course you're in 
Palm Beach County. You're in the area where you've got the Gulf Stream a mile offshore, book a charter. You can be dolphin fishing, sailfish fishing, marlin fishing on a half day charter. You know, there, wow. there's really, there's, I, I don't know if there's anywhere else in the world other than Southeast Florida where you can fish for those things in a four hour window and, you know, go out and catch some dolphin, catch some sailfish and make it back in from your charter for lunch. Yeah, it's pretty wild. It, it seems like uh, your, your hometown has a lot to offer there. So for our in listeners, a, go ahead. In addition, um, kayaking, I don't, I'm sure you have some listeners that like kayak fishing. I, I've never been a big uh, kayak fisherman. I've, you know, always gone out on boats and diving and but I grew up kayaking a lot of the Florida trails and camping where we kayak for the Florida trails so fishing wasn't a part of kayaking but it was always uh, something I really enjoyed doing I've got my own kayaks and I love kayaking we've got some great trails in this area uh, if you want to look up one of them it's called Riverbend Riverbend is, um, I guess, not a 10-mile radius. It's about 30 minutes north of us. But for a 30-minute drive from where we're at, it is a gorgeous kayak trail. And last time I did bring a, a small light tackle pole and caught some uh, bluegill, caught some spotted gar. Um, one of the people I was with caught a um, small snook obviously all catch and release. Yeah. But, um, but you know, just lots of fun little fish in there to, to tug your rod. Can't beat that, man. You say, so, so, so far in this episode, you've sold yourself, you've sold your fish market and you sold your town. I, I don't, I don't know how, what else you can accomplish in almost an hour. That's pretty solid. Uh, what else I can say is Tide Chasers is a dope podcast. <laughs> I love, I love listening in. I love the people you bring on to this channel. Uh, it's so cool to have so many people in the seafood industry that are passionate about preserving our fisheries. I know I'm on the fish market side where I'm, you know, butchering thousands of pounds of fish, but we are passionate people about preserving our fisheries. Um, Captain Clay and my brother Clay Jr. are people that are very involved in the different council meetings that are going on talking about conservation and preservation of our fisheries. And those are things that I'm, I'm always excited to hear the cliff notes of the meetings that they have. There are things that I would be a part of too, if I weren't <laughs> so busy. <laughs> uh, but uh, I've got uh, two great people that represent our fish market that are a part of those things. And I'm proud to be related to people that are part of those things i'm proud to be on your podcast that is a part of the what seems to be growing community of fishermen that like seeing our waters preserved for future generations i think that is just um, so important and i'm very happy that there's more attention being put on that topic yeah man i mean you got to see it my for those that are listening in my son came in to say hi to Reed before we got started. And that's, that's the future right there. That kid is the future. He loves to fish. He knows already to, to let the ones go that have eggs. He knows already that some fish don't make sense to keep, but are still fun to catch seven years old. So that that's kind of what we're doing here. You know, 
I've always been a proponent that not all commercial people are of the same ilk, you know, like as far as commercial fishermen go, 95% of them, maybe more are just trying to make a decent living and do the right thing. The bad eggs always end up being the loudest in the group. So it's, it's, it's one of those things. And I, my goal was always to highlight all parts of this industry and the guys doing it right. And when I saw what you were doing and I kind of looked into you before I even reached out to you, I knew that you guys were doing it right. And I wanted to highlight what you were doing down there. You know, we have listeners from, from all parts of the world. We have people from Europe listening. We have people from Africa listening in, believe it or not. We had, we could see where all of our listeners are coming from. So you're talking to people all over the world right now about your business, which is amazing. And we love it. So. Oh man, really appreciate you having me on. Um, I to, to touch up on commercial fishermen doing the right thing versus ones that don't. I do want to say a big part of that is uh, government. Yeah. You know, when you have rules that are supporting the decimation of our waters and you have law-abiding fishermen, commercial fishermen doing what is in their legal limit and rights, it's whether it's it's morally or ethically wrong, it's it's hard to get mad at people that are following the rules. Right. Where change has to happen is is in the rules. If if you tell someone they can let out this net with anchors on the corners, drop it to the ocean floor and drag those anchors, digging up coral reef that takes thousands of years to develop because it's more convenient for them to catch fluke and flounder and sole that way in the Northeast. It's, it is not the, not, uh, it's hard. Is, is that wrong? In my opinion, absolutely. Are these people doing what they're told they're allowed to do? Absolutely. So it's, you know, where it should be nipped in the butt is that shouldn't be allowed. Right. We, you know, we talk about if that wasn't allowed, then there wouldn't be anybody doing the thing that wasn't allowed to be done. Yeah. And yeah. then if there was someone doing that, then if there was someone doing that thing, then, you know, the repercussions can follow. And then those people should be, you know, have to face the repercussions that follow. But there are no repercussions for the people that are doing these things to the waters because they're actually doing what's within their their legal rights. Sure. And not only legal rights, it's in some areas encouraged. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, the Chesapeake Bay with the, the Manhattan is a perfect example. You know, it's it's one of those things that you know they they have these rules in place. And then you have a specific company that's blasting past it and they're just slapping them on the wrist. They're not doing anything. You know, it's just one of those things where this company is going to keep pushing the limits of what they're allowed to do because they're constantly getting away with it. You know, that not everybody's out there operating like that. A lot of people are just trying to take care of their families. And I, I try to be the voice of reason when it comes to, you know, the recreational anglers hating on the commercial anglers. Everybody, everybody can get a piece of the puzzle, in my opinion, but as long as we're all doing it right. And like you said, tackling it from the top when it comes to the regulations that's where it has to start not having vitriol towards these commercial guys that are that are just doing their jobs and trying to bring bring home a living to their family i i have a hard time with that because i've always been a grinder i've always been the kind of guy that you know i'm out there busting my butt to to get every every last thing i can so i appreciate that lifestyle however 
you know, there's, there's there, the vitriol that I see on like on Facebook and everything else, you know, the recreational anglers attacking commercial guys constantly. It's not the answer. The answer is above them. It's what we, what we can do to change these regulations. Qual and I have sat in on some meetings, you know, we try to be a voice in, in that manner and we're going to fight for it because we have a, you know, we, we have a stance. So we have this stance that may not be the most popular stance with everybody that listens, but that's who we are. You know, we, we want to, we want to be the voice for that stance. You know, is there going to be people on both sides of this? Of course there are. There's going to be people that won't listen to us because we are this way, but we are who we are and we're going to continue to operate that way. So we appreciate people. Apologetically, bro. I love yeah, it. Man. Yeah. I mean, that's just, that's just who we are. We have people I get, we get probably, I don't know. I get a dozen to, to, probably a dozen to 25 messages a week and almost all of them are positive, but every once in a while you get that one person in there that just, that isn't, and you just move on. You're doing yep. the right thing by all those other people. It's just one person can't change the world. You can change it one at a time. That's what we try to do. Qua and I have this thing where we want to, we want to change one person's mind a week. So. Love that, man. Well, I genuinely appreciate what you guys are doing. Thank you. Thank you. Now I have this, this new thing that I'm starting right now. I'm going to do this little rapid fire section. I'm going to throw a couple questions at you quick and you got to answer them. It doesn't have to be science behind it. Just whatever the first thing that pops into your head. You ready to go? Let's do it. If you had to fillet one fish with your eyes closed. What would it be? Yellowtail snapper. Most requested recipe. Um, just how to saute something properly fish you've filleted the most often in your life obviously you probably don't keep numbers but if you in your head what do you think it is yellowtail snapper all right favorite shellfish uh you said off the top of my head rip them but that, that's a really tough one man i figured it would be i'm gonna go oysters oysters okay least favorite fish to clean um that's a Say Margate. Okay. Most exotic species you've ever had in your market? Uh, most exotic species. Um, there's a, oh, I don't know how exotic, but there's a fish called um, long tail bass. Okay. It looks like a snapper with um, a really long, wispy fin. And they're really pretty. They're like pink and yellow. And it's a super deep water fish. It's not something that's plentiful, not something that you can target. Every once in a while, you'll find them when you're deep dropping for tiles um, or deep dropping for yellow eye snapper. Yellow eye snappers and remember the snapper family that we find in much deeper water. And um, whenever we get one of those in as bycatch, you know, I say bycatch, bycatch usually refers to something that is not usable. Um, bycatch just meaning that wasn't the target species that we're going after still has market value. Um, that's one of my favorite fish there. Those things are to die for. Good to know. What would be the most expensive fish you've ever had in your market? Uh, most expensive fish I ever had in market is, um, you know, probably just a fish we consistently have right now. And that's not consistently, but we get in here and there is snowy grouper and yellow edge grouper. The deeper water members of the grouper family have um, skyrocketed in price over the last few years. And um, 
yeah, man, the, the price for deep water groupers is, is up there in the local market here. All right. What's your favorite fish to bring home to, to make as a, for your wife, bring home for the table? Um, that is a very hard decision for me. I know this is rapid fire. Um, I put together a, a TikTok and a YouTube video and an Instagram reel of my top five favorite fish. I'll give that to you. So that way you can say you heard it here first. Uh, number five is going to be swordfish. I love swordfish. Uh, if you've had swordfish and you said you didn't like it, you probably didn't have hours out of the water, locally harvested, properly handled day boat swordfish. It is like clean, non-fishy, great texture, um, delicious fish. Uh, number four, we're going to go with golden tile fish, which is often, often a fish I refer to as my favorite fish. And then number three is going to be amberjack collars. The collar of an amberjack, it's uh, super well marbled. Uh, if you eat at sushi restaurants and if you've ever had hamachi kama, um, hamachi is a yellowtail jack, same family as amberjack. And the kama is a dish made with the collars, which have a high fat content. Uh, amberjack collars taste similar to that, more flavorful, almost like a cobia flavor, but a better texture in my opinion. Uh, all the cobia fans might attack me for that one. <laughs> um, but yeah, amberjack collars, dude, it, I'm telling you, they're so, so good. That's gotta be and, a sleeper. Uh, That's gotta be a sleeper. You probably wouldn't expect to hear that one a lot. Yeah, no, that's that's a that's a fun one to drop on people, and uh, then number two, be the longfin bass, and which we already talked about, so I'll skip over that one and go to number one is a tie between two fish, and that is the yellow edge grouper and snowy grouper. The okay. two deeper water members of the grouper family are my absolute most favorite fish in the ocean. Um, just clean white meat from coming out of those deeper water, um, great fat content, but the fat content is more sweet as opposed to a black grouper that has a great fat content too, but it's fat content is marbling throughout the meat instead of encompassing on the outside fats. So the fats from cold water versus the fats from diet are going to be different. Black grouper is going to have fats more from diet and it get, makes it more flavorful. It's a delicious fish, um, but it's not as mild, not, my, not mild as in being fishy, but not mild as in like Kobe is a very flavorful fish and everybody loves it. Whereas yellow edge grouper and snowy grouper are gonna have just a much milder, clean tasting meat. And uh, last time I made yellow edge grouper, I did a very hot oven, 425, and I just coated it in salt put it in the, it was a thicker piece. So it took a few minutes to cook, put it on the bottom rack close to that fire. So that way it got nice and toasty and served that with um, slices of roasted potato and then broccolini. And man, that just, that's roasted yellow edge grouper with nothing but salt 
is one of the best pieces of fish I've ever eaten. You just killed the whole rapid fire with that amazing recipe there. What are you doing, man? <laughs> it doesn't work that way. All right, last fish you cleaned. Last fish I cleaned um, was a, last, a gray tilefish. Gray tilefish are also called blue line tilefish. Um, so gray tilefish, golden tilefish, both are excellent. Uh, gray didn't make my top five, golden did, um, but that's not to sleep on. Blue line tilefish, my brother Clay Jr., that's actually one of his favorite fish. I think that would make his top three. Um, gray tilefish can be light, mild, and flaky, more like a snapper. Um, large gray tilefish are going to be comparable to almost like a mutton snapper in taste and texture. Whereas golden tilefish, fluffy white sweet meat, it's going to be like a softer textured grouper. Got it. Now, this is going to be an important one here because a lot of people ask this question, but how do you get the fish smell off your hands and your clothes? <laughs> If you ask my wife, I don't. <laughs> you probably you probably need to sweat it out, right? Comes out. Of your uh, I think it's I think it's gone after I get out of the shower every time, and I'm always told I'm wrong. So uh, you've just gotten used to it. Hey, <laughs> you know, man, I'm I'm almost two years into marriage, and I'll I'll be right one of these days. She's a champ. She's a champ. She she's got to oh. be like uh, your taste tester. You're probably bringing home all kinds of crazy stuff she's never had before. Uh, you know, man, I've, I've got a colorful personality and I smell like fish. So she's got thick skin. It sounds like you got a winner there, my friend. A absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but to answer your question sincerely, um, I literally just wash my hands a trillion times. Um, I don't, you know, some people say that I rub lemon, all, not me personally, but some people rub lemon all over their hands. Um, I've, I've heard so many different tips and tricks um but i just you know use a washcloth and really just dig into it make sure you get into your nails because that's where it's going to hold the worst for the odor yeah and um and you know it's it's not any worse leave actually i think it's worse a day working on the boat getting the smell off versus a day in the fish market because these are all for the most part, um, lead, iced, rigor mortis fish. Now we do a lot of the gutting and bleeding in there and you know that, that is going to increase your, your smell factor. But when you do that, you're right next to a hand sink. So you wash your hands. Right away. Whereas right away. When, you're, when you're on the boat for you know, six to 12 hours, you, you know, you wash or you dunk your hands in the ocean and rinse them off. That doesn't actually get the smell off. So, you know, being on the boat absent of a hand sink where you can soap in water hundred times a day um, is definitely worse. I was out on the boat all day Monday and I got back and it was more effort getting rid of the fish smell than a day after work. Yeah, man. Sometimes it's just, it's, it's, it's just unending. You feel like you're washing your hands till you, you rip your skin off. Now, the, the last question of the not so rapid, rapid fire section here. Yeah, sorry about that. I no, 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 it's on. okay. It's the first time I'm doing it. I, I'd rather have the information, my man. So do you watch others, other people's fishing clean, fish cleaning videos? Absolutely. Um, so, you know, I've been doing the, our seafood markets, Facebook and Instagram for a long time. 
Mm-hmm. I've gotten a lot better at it, and I've been pursuing more of um, uh, a science behind it in the last year. But before it was just, you know, post a picture here and there, like, you know, uh, crab shooting, not really knowing what I'm doing, just kind of throwing stuff out there and seeing what sticks. Right. And it wasn't until I started posting the videos that I just entered into this whole world. I didn't really spend a lot of time on social media until I started posting the, the videos. I would hop on, make a post for the fish market, hop off. Um, but from pursuing the read the fishmonger platforms, I found this whole world of other people already doing what I was doing. And man, I tell you what, um, there's some guys out there that can totally smoke me. Um, there's this guy called uh, Keith Fish. Uh, he's a fish cutter in um, Australia. And the dude crushes. Um, his name is Keith, but his Instagram handle is Keith Fish. I think it's like K-E-E-F-I-S-H or something like that. If you look that up, you'll probably find him. Um, but man, the guy is like lightning hands. is mesmerizing. I love watching his videos. Uh, there's another guy called Mr. Nice Guy. Uh, he's a fish cutter in, um, I think, uh, San Diego. Um, and they get a lot of fluke and small halibut yeah. in that area. And, you know, because I cut so many of the species in my area, I'm very proficient at that. I don't see a lot of flatfish. So whereas he sees a lot of flatfish and the way he cuts flatfish, I actually learned from watching his videos of how to get better at cutting flatfish, which I don't see that often. But now when I get a load of, you know, 50 to 100 pounds of Cape Canaveral fluke or summer flounder, I'm actually much better at cutting them because of his videos. Um, That's uh, Mr. Nice Guy. There's um, a guy in the United Kingdom called... um, Bells, E-L-L-S, fishmongers. Um, and whereas I'm this teeny tiny fish market, this is a, so Mr. Nice Guy and Keep Fish, I could be mistaken, but I believe they're fish cutters, not fishmongers. Okay. Um, whereas I, a fish cutter is someone that, you know, typically starts their day cutting fish, ends their day cutting fish. Uh, fishmonger is someone that is, prepping fish for a display and then working that display counter and then doing all of the work in the front of the house and the back of the house. Um, and they'll often be working with their fish cutters to help to reach the same objective. Um, but this guy, Bell's Fishmongers, is a fishmonger like I am where he's working a counter and his counter is so cool. We're a tiny fish market, but he's got this like huge display where he's got the head on prawns and eels and all kinds of other stuff that we don't get in our area. Um, so it's loads of fun seeing what other people from all over the place are, are doing. There's another guy called a uh, digger knot. Um, and he, you know, flays salmon like a ninja. It takes me a few motions, a handful of motions to flay salmon. Um, Whereas that guy like puts his knife behind the head of the fish and it's already off the bones. It's wild. It's wild. 
So I got a couple more questions and then we're going to wrap this up. We can't have a, a tide chase chasers episode without talking fishing. Now you mentioned you fit, you mentioned a little bit of fishing and that you don't get out nearly as much as you'd like. When you do get out, what is your favorite kind of fish to target? Uh, you know, man, whatever is, whatever is available. Like I said, in our area, um, and uh, unfortunately, for the conservation standpoint, uh, in, our, in our area, it is slim picking. Yeah. Um, so it's whatever is readily available. Um, and in our area, sometimes things can move out as quickly as they move in. Um, I love bottom fishing. It's a lot of fun. Um, finding them and, you know, tricking the fish to bite on it. There's a a level of science to it that's very exciting um and I, I love i love trolling and pelagic fishing i love setting up the rigs for trolling finding the slick working the slick finding where two waters are meeting uh going the right speed there's just certain aspects to it that when you do everything right and then all of a sudden you hear that drag pulling um even though it's trolling, it's not the same as what a, you know, in, in some groups it's looked down upon as not a, a skill-based thing, but sure. finding the fish and everything that goes into it is, is where that comes in. And that, that, that part of the hunt is a lot of fun for me. Well, I, I think also, you know, we're talking, you guys are trolling for a lot of different kind of fish than we are up here. You're not exactly trolling for like striped bass or something like that. You know, there's guys up here doing that sort of thing. You're trolling for some of those other big, big, bigger game fish, I would imagine. Yeah. Dolphin, kingfish, wahoo. Yeah. Um, right now, blackfin tuna are just now starting to trinkle in. Uh, usually this time they're pretty thick. Um, they haven't gotten thick yet, but it's a lot of fun when blackfin tuna show up thick and you can, you know, get a good trip on catching a lot of blackfin tuna. That's a load of fun. Any, uh, any bucket list fish that you want to target that you haven't gotten a chance to yet? Um, for cutting fish, a bucket list fish yeah. is moonfish. Okay. I don't know if you guys have ever seen moonfish. It's like giant circular pink fish with like the dots on them. Yeah. Um, those things look super cool. I've always wanted to cut one of those. Um, as far as fishing goes, uh, bucket list fish fishing. You know, I've never caught a swordfish. I'd really like to catch a swordfish. Um, I don't want to catch one in a buoy. I want to catch one daytime deep dropping. And, but um, I think that's more just so that way I have the excitement of pulling in a swordfish for the, the actual act of catching it excitement um you know i don't know man i i just i like catching fish i'd love to one day do one of those um trips up north and catch one of those massive tunas i've never done that you know, the tuna we catch in our area are blackfin tuna. Yeah. And when you catch a 25 pound blackfin tuna, that's a humongous one. Yeah, we've we've had a, a couple year run of the bluefin tuna on the beach, pretty much uh, parts of Jersey um, where they're coming in like. Not even like you could see them from shore, like they're they're feeding within yards of shore. So it's it's been a couple year run of uh, some good bluefin tuna fishing up here. Definitely. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to do that. 
Um, I don't even really know what goes into it. I haven't stepped into that whole market because it's, it's so far removed from what we do down here. Um, have you ever been on a trip where you're fishing for big bluefin tuna? I have not. I had a trip where I was supposed to go target bluefin tuna and had tile fish as a backdrop, a backup. And it was when we were on vacation and my wife actually, it was one of my, one of my customers invited me out. He goes, I'll call you, blah, blah, blah. You know, two, three days into vacation, when, whenever you're settled in, I'll call you, we'll get you out. So in the meantime, the day that I'm going, one of my, one of my good friends who was on the, the podcast, uh, Captain Mike Smith from Never Enough, called me, he goes, dude, he goes, I got a window. You, when are you going to get into town? He goes, hop on my boat as soon as you get into town. So I couldn't plan two trips on a, on a family vacation. So I had to put it on the backlog. Dang. <laughs> well, man, I, I hope you get out there and catch that big bluefin tuna one day. I'd yeah. like to also. Yeah, I would like to. I would definitely like to get more offshore. That's the one area that I haven't done much of anything is offshore. I keep I keep within, you know, the, the confines of the backwaters and and such. I've only ever snuck my kayak out, you know, out of out of an inlet into the ocean one time. Um, but beyond that, I haven't ventured far out, you know, just simply because I'm almost always by myself. You know, I've been out with my friends on their boats and stuff like that, but not offshore. So that's that's in the works. That's something that's coming up. So we'll we'll see. All right. Well, get down here, man. Let's go. Yeah, I'm in, man. So this is the this is the time where where we wrap up and you get to plug away and talk about all your social media plugs, your business, and you get to go nuts and talk about whatever you want to to promote your business before we wrap up. And then I'm going to stay on just to wrap up the episode. So go nuts. Tell tell everybody, tell our listeners where they could find you and, and Captain Clays and everything. Awesome. Well, thank you for allowing a slot for me to plug up Captain Clay and Son Seafood Market. Uh, you can find us on uh, Facebook, Instagram, or on our, our website. Uh, we've got, you know, more going on on Facebook and Instagram than we do on our website. Um, and then I'm Reed the Fishmonger. Well, I'm Reed, but uh, my social medias are Reed the Fishmonger. I got Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. I don't really do a lot on Facebook because their video quality doesn't really transfer very well. And most of the content I do is video related stuff. So TikTok and Instagram and YouTube are my bigger platforms. Uh, that's uh, read R-E-E-D underscore the fishmonger. And, um, and yeah, man, uh, you can find Captain Clay and Son Seafood Markets link to their Instagram from my Instagram also. So you can find us in a one-stop shop. And uh, if you have any questions on how to fillet fish, how to butcher fish, how to prepare anything anyway, uh, feel free to message me. Um, I'm happy to answer any questions anybody has anytime. I love interacting with people that have a passion for seafood just like I do. Man, I gotta say, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure. You know, I really appreciate you giving me the time. I know you've been working all day. I've been working all day and we still, uh, this was great, man. I, I thought this was amazing. I, I appreciate you giving us the time to, to hop on and talk. So without further ado, that was Reed Brand from Captain Clay and Son Seafood down in Delray, Florida. I got to say, like I said, that they're doing it right down there. Um, they're, they're doing the right things. They're fresh catch. Uh, water to 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 prep and then it's right there like he said you know the next day those fish are 
are are going uh, into the smoker and being prepared for fish dips and such. So they 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 have a short shelf life. They're not keeping out uh, unfresh seafood. As always, you can find us at Tide underscore Chasers. We're on Facebook, Tide Chasers Podcast. We're on Waypoint TV and a lot of the podcast platforms. But please check Reed out. He's great. He's doing some amazing things. And uh, we're, we're going to keep following along and seeing what they come up with. I, I can't imagine that we're not going to see uh, his page and, and, and everything blow up for them. They're doing it the right way, and we love that. So thank you for listening to another episode of Tide Chasers Podcast. And tight lines, everybody. Thank you.